Hi, this is Samora Penderhughes. Hi, this is Lena Penderhughes. And you're listening to Jazz Life. I'd sing 
That was I Wish I Knew How It Feels to Be Free. Written by the great Dr. Billy Taylor and Dick Dallas, this version was recorded live at the 1976 Montreux Jazz Fest by the incomparable Nina Simone. You're listening to Jazz Life. I'm your host, Shannon J. Effinger. Coming up on today's show, a very special one to grow on with two rising young voices in this music. Pianist Samora Penderhues and flautist Elena Penderhues. At just 24 and 21, respectively, these two are part of a long line of siblings in jazz and have already left their indelible mark in this music, working with the likes of Stefan Harris, Ambrose Akimensary, Branford Marsalis, and Terry Lynn Carrington. The Transformation Suite, Samora's first full length project, is inspired by the black protest here in America. While it's a nod to the past, the suite is very much rooted in the present, tackling head-on issues of racial inequality that we're facing today through music, spoken word, and live theater. Now here are my conversations with Samora and Elena Penderhues, only on Jazz Life. Okay, so I have the pleasure on today's Jazz Life to sit down with none other than Samora and Elena Penderhues. How you doing today, guys? Good, doing good. great. Thank you for Happy to us. be here. <laughs> so I figured let, before we get into this amazing, amazing album, The Transformation Suite, let's talk about your respective journeys in this music. I mean, you're obviously siblings, but you've taken somewhat different paths musically. So uh, whoever wants to go first... I guess I'll go first because I'm older, <laughs> <laughs> the older sibling. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, we've been close since we were very, very little, but um, definitely independent as well. But, um, you know, myself, I started playing um, percussion when I was two years old, um, mostly Latin percussion, Afro-Latin percussion from Venezuela and also from Cuba. Um, had just amazing teachers in the Bay Area where we grew up. Um, and then I switched to piano when I was about seven. Um, and from that point, just kind of took off. That was kind of my main thing. Um, and I, you know, learned about jazz when I was kind of more like 10 or 11 because we were in a program called the uh, Young Musicians Choral Orchestra YMCO, which a lot of amazing musicians have been a part of. Um, a free program for young musicians college prep program that they give you free lessons and all types of amazing training um and so that was where I had my first jazz teachers um but I was always interested in all types of different music and I was writing music since I was kind of just start started playing piano I always wanted to write um so you know, I, my first song that I wrote was dedicated to Elena. It was called Laneology. <laughs> it, was, it was a little corny, but it was good, though. That's a good song. Um, it's, yeah. Um, actually, one of, you know, the great musicians of the Bay Area, John Santos, he actually recorded it on one of his albums. So, um, And he made it sound way better than <laughs> actually was as a song. Um, so, you know, I was always trying to write. And then, um, you know... Our parents are both academics and community organizers and do great work. So I was also always interested in 
sociology and politics and stuff like that. Um, and when it came time to go to school, um, I applied for all academic programs except Juilliard. Um, not expecting to get in, but when I did, I, I figured I got to try this now if I'm going to do it. So went to Juilliard, um, had a, you know, very um, amazing and interesting time there in a lot of different facets. Um, met some of my closest friends and collaborators, had great teachers, including the incomparable Kenny Barron, um, mm -hmm. who was my personal piano teacher. And then I graduated 2013 and um, was touring at that time. Started, you know, touring with Jose James, Emily King, um, Branford Marsalis, different people. Um, and then, you know, at a certain point, kind of still loving to play with other people, but definitely realizing that I wanted to um, prioritize my own voice, you know, wanted to start my own projects. And the first project that I did start on my own was the Transformation Suite which I've been working on for the last five years. And during that time, kind of started doing other types of projects, film scoring, working in theater with my main mentor, who's the great playwright, Anna, Anna Devere yeah. Smith. Yeah, she's just like one yeah. of my favorite people. I've learned so much, much needed in this industry. <laughs> yeah, and she, she has a, her, her new um, play is just going, started um, a couple days ago at Second Stage. So mm -hmm. everybody that's in New York should definitely go to see that um but i've learned yes yeah, so much from her and she's been a kind of a, a beacon to me along with other artists um in terms of creating kind of multidisciplinary art art that kind of crosses the boundaries of um you know music politics social relationships identity all those kind of things um so yeah just you know that's kind of where it's going and little sister little sister so um <laughs> I started playing because Samoda played, and I wanted to be just like him. Um, so around the age of four, um, like he said, he was playing all sorts of shows and everything, and he was playing Latin percussion. And um, you know, there was one of his teachers that had um, had a group, a Venezuelan group, and there was a flute player in there. And apparently, as I'm told, I went to the show. We used to go to those shows all the time, and um, I kind of looked up and I was like, "Oh, I played that one," and I put into the flute, but I was too small. Um, because my fingers couldn't reach the oh, keys yet. No. And so um, every six months or so, they used to measure me on the little, on the couch. They used to put me on the couch, put the flute in my hands. Yeah, some good pictures. To see if I was here. big enough. To see that. To see if I was big enough. My feet weren't, weren't, weren't touching the ground. They were hanging off the couch. Um, and then finally, when I was big enough, I started playing the flute. Um, and, you know, grew up singing my whole, you know, my whole life since I was a kid. Um, grew up dancing as well. Um, and once I started playing, immediately someone and I started playing together immediately um and really to be honest Samoda is truly to be credited as my first and main teacher in my whole life everything I know Samoda taught me with among other people but really he was my first person and still remains like my biggest influence so I mean I knew you um, guys were close but like to actually hear it is a whole other try oh no it's real it's real and I think you know people have told us that when they hear us play together it's really special because we kind of share a mind in certain ways um and it's it's something really special to play with a sibling especially to have grown up playing with a sibling and learn from each other and grow from each other and as we've grown as musicians as well as people it's kind of changed and gotten you know better and gotten more um it's grown with us as we've grown which is really great um and i came to new york shortly after he did once i graduated school i'm still in school now i'm in Manhattan school of music um and I started playing and recording a lot as soon as I got here, which has been a really big blessing. Um, I've, you know, done some records with a lot of people around New York and all over, um, like Christian Scott, Ambrose, Zach Musery, Terry Lynn Carrington. Most recently, a lot of work on Common's new record that's about to come out in November. Hello. <laughs> which I'm really excited about. I got a chance to really work a lot with, with him and with Green Riggins and with um, Robert Glasper, who produced it. And that's like the newest thing. And I'm saying on the album, and I'm really excited. Um, and you're newly signed. Uh, about a year ago, I signed to a, um, a production development company called um, SRP Music Group. Um, and I've been working on my music for about a year and a half now. Someone has been working on it with me. We've been writing everything together. Um, it's really good. And I can't wait for people to hear it. They'll probably hear it at some point in the next year. I'm I got to hear it before out. everyone else. I got you, Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, you know, our respective paths. It's been, it's been really amazing because... 
we always work on each other's projects together, but we have our own separate voices, and they're very different. Um, the transformation suite is, I was a huge part of it as a player and as a thinker as well, but yeah. this is Samora's baby, you know? But everything is a collaboration, but separate voices, definitely. Yeah, so now let's just jump right in. I was going to actually ask um, if how, uh, well, clearly you're an integral part of the sound, but how involved were you uh, so much in terms of the conception of this? She was definitely very involved. I, I, I wrote most of the project in California when I was actually teaching at YMCO, um, the program that I, that I was a, part, a student of. I went back during one of the summers to be kind of a student kind of mentor. And while I was there, you know, staying at home, it was like probably, I guess, the first... No, were you still in high school at that time? Yeah, because it's that old. <laughs> um, but it's grown and changed, though. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. But yeah, that, that first summer, you know, she was still um, living at home because she was in high school, so she was a, definitely a part of that writing process. It was me, her, and this great saxophone player from um, Detroit whose name is Marcus Elliott um, who was also a student DJ he was kind of like half living with us during the summer and so they were kind of the main people that were around when I was writing it and everything I do I always bounce it off of her she's kind of like my sounding board because it's the person that I trust to tell me when something is good and not good you know just immediately and she doesn't even tell me I can just tell you know (laughs) she'll when she just is not feeling it (laughs) and always kind of making me be rigorous about the process and like kind of interrogating what what is really working and what's not working so um she was definitely a part of that and I like to kind of especially for this project because it's a a large ensemble project there's Mm -hmm. it's a group of 10 core musicians and then strings on top of that Mm -hmm. so um you know with that kind of project um especially something I knew I would live with for a long time. I definitely wanted it to be the Duke Ellington type of thing where you write for the people, not for the instruments, you know. And that's why the instrumentation is a little strange, you know. Um, it's not necessarily the normal large slash small big band kind of thing, you know. It's not not with the, the instruments you would normally pick mm-hmm. for that. But it was because I picked certain people, not certain instruments. I was like, I want to write for these cats. Mm-hmm. So, um Within that, you know, the primary voice as far as the instruments was definitely Elena's voice on the flute. Um, And then as she was developing her singing voice as well, that became a part of that as well. You know, there's two singers on the album. She's one and the other is Jabril Muhammad Jackson. He's incredible. Yeah. And he actually was a dancer at Juilliard. He didn't even go to he has never trained as a you know but he's incredible that's even more um and he's actually in mexico right now with the dance company (laughs) he's an incredible choreographer so um yeah but yeah she was definitely a big part of that and then i also uh gave her the most important solo parts because i knew she would kill it (laughs) that being said i want to say that there's once people hear the album there's also this incredible spoken word and this incredible spoken part and written part if you get to read the visuals and and like see the visuals and the art i mean this isn't just an album in my opinion this yeah, is there's yeah. visual components there's audio components there's everything and all of that was samora's work i mean along with my collaborator jeremy harris who yes. wrote some of the, the lyrics with me he was my main collaborator collaborator lyrically but i kind of did everything backwards um in that i actually it was almost like an essay i wrote program notes first before i wrote any music um, because I wanted it to be a sweet and I kind of wanted it to be like a, um, a manifesto, if you will, mm-hmm. like in a story, you know. So the, it being that kind of conceptual piece, I wrote out exactly what I wanted it to be and how I wanted it to flow before I ever wrote. And then I grabbed like 10 million things from the library for each section. I was like, this section is going to sound, you know, this is the energy I wanted to have. Not just, I wasn't trying to copy it, and hopefully I didn't, but just so I could get the energies right for each section.
There's so much that I hear when obviously you experience this album and, and completely overwhelmed in the first listen in a good sense. Um, but was there any one specific incident or, or issue that sort of sparked the, okay, I got to do this? Yeah. Um, I mean, there have been several since we've been working on it for the you know five, last five years. And part of the reason it's taken so long is because as different things have happened, we've wanted to update keep the the project kind of uh relevant i mean obviously you know as a background for people that are listening that don't know about the project you know it is about the history of specifically african diasporic protests you know and just the experience of black people in the americas um but it's also generally uh like an exploration of the history of oppressed people you know beyond even beyond black folks but since it's centered on that you know the goal is that one day it will be irrelevant but right now it's the opposite of that so as things have been happening that's kind of one of the reasons we wanted to make sure that we got it out because as as I was giving it to friends and stuff like that they would hit me up as things would happen and be like this is what I'm leaning on right now you need to put it out so so I had the pleasure to sit down recently with Jabale Willa Joe Zahler the founder of the Urban Bushwomen Dance Company. Oh, wow. And she um, she dropped a lot of gems, but we were talking about, you know, her her piece, Walking with Train, and, you know, similarly how it's, of course, tying in with all the stuff happening today. But um, she said something that stuck with me. She called it, the term, I've never heard it before, the changing same in terms of, you know, how every generation of of black folk you know is experiencing their struggle but it's unique to that time but yet it's inspired by oppression and sparked by being disenfranchised so how important was it that this work speak to now what's happening to us now um it was yeah extremely important the the two, the two incidents that I would talk about specifically, one was in 2011, the year that we started the project, uh, which is actually unfortunately something that in the narrative of everything that's gone on, a lot of people have forgotten about, which was the killing of Troy, Troy Davis, who was a, a man who was on death row in Georgia, and they f- figured out that he didn't commit the crime, and they still executed him. Um, and so that was a a turning point for me, um, you know, following that case, um, and kind of seeing, you know, the, the way that the justice, injustice system really works. Um, and then the other turning point, uh, several years later was, um, when the, uh, murderers of Eric Garner were not convicted. Um, and that was another huge turning point for me where the project was kind of in in a holding place, a holding pattern. And like I had said, you know, several people hit me up saying, this is what's what I'm leaning on in this situation where I don't really know where to move next because we use, it's, so, it's so obvious how deep the system goes in this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for me, the... The now, the way I have been framing it has actually been so, has at least recently been extremely uh, excited, like positive, which I think is the opposite of how a lot of people are feeling because of Trump and because of, you know, everything that's going on with police killings of black people. And I I feel the same. I mean, I feel hopeless most of the time. But what I will say is that the movement that my generation has created feels unlike anything I've ever experienced in my lifetime. And whereas all the other stuff has been, like you said, has been going on. And so compared to five years ago for me, at least I feel like, I feel so um, energized Mm -hmm. by the work that uh, the people my age around this whole country and around the world are doing currently. Mm -hmm. That for me, my only goal with this project is just to uh, contribute in some small way to the the rolling tide, so to speak, that is already happening. And 
speaking to that, I mean, you at the very top of the interview, you talked about your respective histories in Berkeley, and ironically enough, this is the 50th anniversary of Panthers, and you know, West Coast has, has sort of been at the, the forefront of the black counterculture movement politically and through music and stuff. What What is it like to be a part of that firmament? Well, I mean, I think, like Samora said, it's, it's really special not only to be a part of it, but to be a part of it now. And I think sometimes as young people, it, you know, it goes in waves. And so sometimes, depending on what age you hit, you experience it differently I was I'm just at the age now where I'm starting to understand everything in a different way than I did maybe if if this had happened 10 years ago I would have been 11 and I wouldn't have understood in the same way Um, but I feel like we're really lucky to be a part of this movement now Mm -hmm. at this moment like you said because of all the things going on because of what our generation is doing Um, and it's a continuation of what has been done before Mm -hmm. it just sometimes it comes in waves in you know, the ways are different. Um, I don't know if you want to add to that. Yeah, I think the the other thing that was, I think, lucky for us or how I feel being lucky about growing up in the Bay Area is that, um, and in our particular experience, because the Bay Area experience can be different. And I think people, a lot of people claim that they're part of an experience they're not because it's gentrifying, as we were just talking about what New York is. And so a lot of people want to be saying that they're, you know. So I'm not trying, we are from Berkeley, we're not from Oakland, so... <laughs> You know, I'm not, I don't claim to be from Oakland. And Berkeley is very different in certain respects. It is very, like, you know, um, white liberal, mostly. You know, it's, it's a, high, a very, like, upper middle class as far as the people that can afford to live there. Um, but I, I do think because of the work that our parents did, you know, my dad being working in violence prevention in Oakland, Richmond, and San Francisco, and my mom, you know, doing work in the prisons and doing environmental justice work, we were a part of communities that were radical spaces within the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And what that allowed us to be a part of was this radical intersectionality, which I think is a lot of what she's talking about with our generation that I'm excited about, that it's not just about... Uh, I mean, the people who are building the movement, you know, primarily, aren't. they're not just... It's not just black folks. It's black, queer, you know, yeah. folk. Like, it's about the intersection of all the folks who are being... You know, forced to be, you know, deal with different waves of oppression. You know, so um, we were lucky to for that to be normal early, where it was like, this is the community. You know, but I think that that is rare. Very, very. The sun slapped me last night, rippled me to the edge of earth, where angels fly with broken wings and love with shattered hearts. Moonwalk in their minds the sounds of teardrops Beating Michael and Marley, Mayfield and Marvin Rest in peace, what's going on? You can't teach soul like that You can't get this funk not to stink So you just better breathe deep And rock your head Move your hips Find God in the drum, revolution in the bass, and make freedom look sexy tonight. The sun slapped me last night, rippled me to the edge of earth, where angels resurrect newspaper clippings with God in the time before time, when halos shine through clouds like north stars to freedom. Guided by the sound of flesh cutting through air. Listening to the words of ancestors beating against our skin. Using scars on backs as maps, we dream of better places. Where history remembers our name and the future's born in our favor. So one time for the brothers in schools challenging rules for better tomorrows fighting traditions and yesterdays serpent tongues and false smiles you are evolution in tears and sweat you are everything they read about but are too afraid to see the 
beating at the protest The innocent man behind bars The pain of the verdict after the cops kill a brother Or stick him with a plunger Ask your questions Demand your answers Do not let them fade your soul So two times for the preachers not scared to preach the truth Standing tall in ghettos Praying God blows his breath around these parts Cause summertime heat has folk feeling violent Saying it's just too hot to believe God cares So they bottle their frustration in beers And wait to see those eyes Feel that gaze Something Lord make me a sign Let me know you still care The sun slapped me last night Rippled me to the edge of earth Where forgotten angels are ready for repatriation Too proud to cry So they fish fry On corners and stoops Backyards and barbershops Arguing the world isn't round For we are the children of her dark corners You will not fade I surrendered my beliefs and found myself at the in my stories into the veins of leaves I surrendered my beliefs and found myself at the tree of life injecting my stories
think my mother knew. I think my mother knew that freedom wouldn't come in her lifetime. That freedom wouldn't come in her lifetime. But it's a matter of. But it's a matter of. Either we stay like this. Either we stay like or this. Somebody or somebody sacrifices. Somebody lays the tracks. Somebody tracks lays the tracks. So we don't, so we stay, don't stay in a, a 360-degree deadly circle. Somebody has somebody to break has out. To break out. Somebody has to somebody break out. Somebody has to break out and risk everything. losing everything. And being poor. And being poor. And getting beat, and getting down. beat down. But somebody, but has, somebody to do has, has to do something. Somebody has somebody to do has something. Somebody has to do something. If you're just tuning in to Jazz Life, you're catching my conversations with Samora and Elena Penderhughes. During the first half of our interview, you heard Kamazi Washington's Ask Him, Shadam Anthem by Gerald Clayton, and Cycles off the Transformation Suite. Up next, Samora and Elena discuss the research that went into making this ambitious work. So let's let's talk a little bit about what the research entailed. Is I mean, thankfully there is a rich precedent in in this music for protest and and uprising. You know, thinking about Coltrane immediately. Oh. <laughs> you talk about some of the the, the research at, um, at either at length over the course of the five years, or you know what stands out for you. There's definitely a spot, there's a very specific spot in one of the tracks that is, I literally told everybody this is like the spot in acknowledgement. You can find that and <laughs> go get there, find that spot. But um, yeah, that was, A Love Supreme was definitely a very important record, one of the very important records for the album. Uh, the most important record for the album was definitely uh, what's going on. I would say the biggest influences on the record overall, number one, James Baldwin, because that's yeah. always the biggest influence for me. Mm, okay. um, he's kind of my hero. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly his his book of essays that's entitled The Cross of Redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, Saul Williams. We yeah. use some of his words mm-hmm. with his blessing in the piece um, from one of his collections that's entitled Set the Shotgun to the Head. Um, which is just, he's my favorite poet. Um, and um, what other things? Musically, it was just, yeah, kind of a hodge. Yeah, yeah, it was just a lot of, yeah, a lot of different things past that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, as far as the research went um, beyond, beyond just influences, um, I mean, I definitely, I think I tried to, I definitely tried to just listen to records that were like albums the whole way through, concept records, you know, um, just so that I could get an idea of what it would mean to have something that's like stands as a story in an hour, because that's a long time, so, mm-hmm. and you don't want people to be bored, um, yeah. you don't want people to feel like you're doing things that are necessary, you know, I, I always envisioned it like a movie, right. you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, with the movie, like the first half could be as dope as can be. <laughs> if the ending is whack, like that's what everybody's gonna remember. Yeah. You know, so for me, it was painstaking because I didn't want um, there to be anything that wasn't necessary. Right. And so for me, a lot of the research was looking into these albums that it wasn't like four tracks that you listen to forever and then the rest you kind of forget. Right. <laughs> it had to be something that was Every dope from the beginning to the end. stood on its own. It's amazing that you brought this up because immediately I'm thinking about Max Roach's Freedom Now suites and, you know, Nina Simone, of course, Trains Alabama. How did you balance the, the you know because w- sometimes when you do a conceptual album like this you know the the statement almost overshadows the art mm-hmm. how did you either through composition or arrangement sort of keep that balance to make sure that you know one didn't sort of usurp the power of the other 
Well, the first is to get really great musicians. Yes. <laughs> That's the most important thing. But yeah. Um, really, really great musicians. Yeah. And to have a band, which I've been really lucky enough to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we rehearsed and went on the road before we recorded. Yeah. So for me, that was very important because we went really all the way through, just like I was talking about my own process. Mm-hmm. It was the same in rehearsals yeah. with Elena and with Clovis Nicholas, the yeah. bass player, and with... Yeah. Jeremy and just everybody mm-hmm. that they were saying uh, we don't really think this works or it's not necessary or we can take this out mm-hmm. and the other part that was good for that that I mean it comes through in the recording but it's definitely best live is that because I worked with Jabril who was a dancer and Jeremy on the words who I met he was in the theater program an actor the uh, it was always more than music we were always thinking about how it could jump off the stage we were always thinking about how it could be dynamic and um, how it could be presented as well as heard. Um, and I think that helps, that actually ended up helping the actual hearing. Like, it, it kept it interesting as musically as well. I think the other thing is, as musicians for the project, because, you know, there's the words going on and there's the singing, which is obviously at the forefront, but the strictly instrumental part of it, we were super aware of what the whole big picture was. It wasn't. It didn't feel like just another gig where we were playing songs. Like it felt like the suite as a whole is a whole another thing. Like it as as we started playing it and as we became more aware of it. I mean, we all know the words. We all know every single piece of that entire suite. And because of that, we all knew what our role was and how we could execute the piece as a whole. It wasn't really about okay, I'm gonna play this note right now because you know somebody just finished saying something really deep. And so your job is to is help that jump off to the audience and to continue those words through the music, you know? So it wasn't really it wasn't really difficult to have one thing overshadow the other. It was really, like, super, super gelled together. In terms of the, the jazz community, I know the album just, just dropped, uh, like, little, almost two weeks. Um, has the jazz community embraced you either during the, the the making of this this project and and since you know now it's released into the the world some of the um can you talk about you know some of the support that you received either specifically or in general yeah I mean I've been lucky all communities have embraced me I think right <laughs> yeah um and I think one of the things that I that I definitely was trying to be purposeful with the project too was that it was like there was a lot of different experiences and genres kind of in there you know um and so I've gotten definitely you know beautiful support from the jazz community I guess you could say or just you know people that I respect um in that space um and also have gotten you know respect from the, you know, people in the hip-hop community, from people in the classical community, people in the poet mm-hmm. spoken word community, Broadway, yeah. like... Because it touches on different all things, of those, you know? yeah. Um, but honestly, the thing that has been the most important to me mm-hmm. is that I've gotten support from community organizers and activists who are on the ground in the Black Lives Matter movement. Because mm-hmm. to be honest, as important as the music is to me, it's a vessel, yeah. as far as this project specifically. Yeah. It's a call to action, you know. So for me, um, it's kind of like I mean the 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 best parallel, not and they're completely different, like literally the most different projects. Um, but the best parallel I could see to it, like for the most recent as well, is like Solange's thing, where mm-hmm. she's like, "This is for us." Like yeah. it was very clear, at least for me. Not, yeah. and I wasn't even necessarily part of that us because right. it was very much black women, right. but <laughs> it was very clear that she was being like. I'm making it for y'all and they and and the fact that it was embraced by everybody meant that it meant something not that it wouldn't have it still could have been great artistically but I'm assuming that for her that was a big deal so for me it was like I was trying to do the same thing of a different way of saying this is for my people and if they had said nah we're not doing it that would have been you know rough to take um but uh Luckily, that was not the case. Luckily, um, I have been able to, you know, interface with some folks that I really respect doing the work 
and they have said that it's important so yeah. i appreciate it as you were saying i was thinking about you know as you get older you guys are babies but <laughs> as you get older you'll experience how you really start to see how even though things are are messed up as they are but there is a little bit of, of a through line, a little bit of progress that the next generation has been able to latch on to. Because when I was coming up, it's not that long ago, thinking about when Lauren Hill said that she made the miseducation for black people. And it was this huge, like, oh, how dare she? This album is for everybody. This is for everyone to be enjoyed and, you know, to, to, to dig. And, and while that's true, there's, there's nothing wrong with saying that, you know, this, the message is inherently for people you know with with melanin like so for to to have you guys say that to be in this era of transparency where you know like Solange can make those statements and not get backlash for it it just means that number one album hello (laughs) it means it's getting a little little bit better do you guys see that sort of progress in terms of being able to to make those kinds of statements yeah, I mean, my my personal, I guess, idea on it is that every time as you're doing something as an artist, you're telling a story. If you're doing a good job, mm-hmm. we're storytellers. That's what we've been since humanity existed. And if you're telling a story, you have a point of view. So you're you are speak whether you're gonna be honest about it or not. Whether the people that speak on your record are gonna be honest about it or not, you're speaking about a certain point of view. That is reflected in a certain group of people. Doesn't mean it can't speak beyond that, because I've seen this piece speak everywhere we've gone, and we haven't just performed in the United States. We've performed everywhere. Yeah. We've performed it for people that don't speak English, right. and they felt it super hard, mm-hmm. you know? So um, I, I think there, yeah, I think there's totally is simultaneously telling very specific stories and also speaking to everyone. It's so essential and it's so universal because it's so specific. Yeah. So you uh, earlier you mentioned that it was very important for you not to to sort of do an imitation, you know, or or regurgitation yeah. of, of something that's already happened before. Like, how did you sort of walk that fine line of, you know, not, um, even though it's, I, I hear Train's influence, mm-hmm. I hear Nina Simone's influence, I hear James Baldwin, I hear, you know, it's hard not to hear those things, but at the same time, I also hear you guys. And I hear those incredible musicians and I hear the incredible spoken word. How did you sort of, you know, navigate? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think for me personally, first of all, I I think I've never been shy about my influences. Um, I think, you know, anybody that is not is saying they don't have influences, they're lying. You know what I mean? So, and and for me, those those are the people I lean on. You know, I need that. I'm not an especially super duper confident off top person. You know, so I have to. I I use my influences my heroes as pillars to lean on when I've don't when I'm unsure about whether something works or not um but so I I don't necessarily know if I thought super hard about making something unique or not Mm -hmm. but I did try to have courage you know and and I've I've learned a lot about that from my sister because um you know she's this that talented that she could do a lot of different things and just do that Mm -hmm. And probably just be the best at it and and win you know what I mean but she wants to make you know her mark in a very specific way and um, so that that was one of the things that made me feel comfortable that you know um, I could do that you know and um, I think it's interesting both kind of in a positive it mostly in a positive way but it's also just interesting that you know we've been doing this work for five years and five years ago just to be honest there was a lot less people like artists that were 
making these kind of statements. Yeah, yeah 10, 15 um, years. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so now putting this record out now, there's this climate, which I think was brought upon by the people. You yeah. know, it wasn't the other way around. It was like, yeah. pe- you know, artists feel Me comfortable either. now. Yeah. And yeah, because people are clamoring for it. But um, I think when I first started this, at least in, in the space that I was in, which maybe was a certain space, it felt like I was being individual just by making those statements because people around me were like a little it was making them nervous wow. yeah. <laughs> um but now what's wonderful is that because of the the culture and space and um you know the communities that that are out and, and just thriving yeah. um the space for this type of record is much larger in the i think the at least i think it was always there in the culture but now it's like really at the yeah. top you know, I would say I would. I was gonna say that if you didn't. <laughs> um, I think, you know, as artists, sometimes we. I, I would say some artists. You know, a big thing for us is you know what is your voice? What is your voice? And personally, some may say I'm biased. Some may say I'm not. Samora has his own one, and um, compositionally, I've really seen that a lot because he helps me write a lot as well and we've written together a lot and there's a certain sound there so I think you know as you start writing and as particularly a suite comes together because there's many components and many parts you find that your voice is there individually in each part but also as a complete whole like I, I think for some reason there was no danger of it sounding like something else it just it never did not even from the first generation and then it just kept becoming more current different changing as as the climate changed and as more things happened but it always sounded like Zamora yeah and now that it's out in the world and you've you know have sort of released it how is it what's the experience like to hear it now at this stage because even you know tomorrow is going to sound different but what's it like to to not to to sort of be somewhat removed from it in terms of the making of it and and to just hear it as the way that we're all experiencing it um i mean it's it's been a you know wonderful to have the positive feedback that we've gotten um and i've had you know some very gratifying conversations it's a very strange experience because i've lived with it for so long that it is like a I don't know, sending your baby to college. Yeah, or yeah, I know, see weird. the motion. Here. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> it's like um, but um, I think the you know the deepest thing that's that there's several wonderful things that have happened in the last week has been very emotional week since last Wednesday when we dropped it. But um, you know, and the the show that we had in in New York a couple of nights ago was definitely one of those moments as far as just the community support um, and the love in the space, but definitely the deepest you know experience that i've had with the work in the last you know week and change was um for the overall album release um i collaborated with this incredible organization called campaign for black male achievement um on this project or this event called black males reimagined um which we held last tuesday um the day before the album release at the kennedy center and it was a basically a day-long event that it was streamed so you can find it on online um and it was basically what we did was they allowed me to use the suite in the different sections as kind of a, a, a holding space and a curation space for a series of performances and conversations on all the different ways that we experience particularly the black male experience but the black experience in general um just incredible conversations you know mike.com did a conversation on black masculinity um the performances by you know christian mm-hmm. scott um Layla hathaway and i mm-hmm. did a song that you know um we we are working on together um just all types of amazing stuff but the deepest thing that happened was um we performed one of the sections as a precursor to a conversation between the fathers of Trayvon Martin and Jordan Davis. Um, And so I was able to meet them. They were able to hear the project and we had a a conversation about their thoughts on the project, which they love. And that was um, 
an affirmation yeah. and also just a lot of other things that were wow, going on. Yeah. Um, so it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. And to, you know, perform the section of the suite that's about trauma and mm-hmm. police brutality yeah. and then have them have a conversation about their experience, you know, with the, these events and with, you know, their, their, the loss of their children and how they are, you know, moving forward, trying to fight for, you know, those fight for justice is it was a that was everything to me wow i'm just you can't help but get emotional how do you keep your emotions at bay when you do a work like this and and i mean like how do you not like i was undone at littlefield like it it was it was just all culminating because of already knowing the work and having lived with it, not being able to talk about it for like the past yeah. year, and then to to actually and then to experience it live, and you know, to see all the moving parts like and and come together in in such a beautiful way. Like, how do you sort of not, you know? How do you keep your emotions in check, I guess, is what I'm asking. I think the interesting thing about being um, on the performance end of the piece is that we've we've witnessed it be not only really powerful and profound for people, but healing as well. Um, and so I think my favorite part is actually, you know, sometimes it's dark and we can't see people's faces, but occasionally you can see people's faces, and especially when they haven't seen it yeah. before. And you just see, like, from the beginning to the end, because this is a story. And you see them go through that journey with you as you go. Mm-hmm. And it's incredible. Yeah. And so, for me, when I play the suite, it's not emotional in that way. Yeah. It's really more because we have we have a duty to, to give that message. Mm-hmm. And so it's, there's another thing going on there as we, as we do it. And then afterwards, it's amazing to see that reaction and yeah. see not you know because people yeah they they cry they feel all sorts of things they feel anger they feel sadness they feel pain they feel all sorts of things but they also are very healed and come out very hopeful at the end and it's a journey i mean the last piece isn't a sad piece i mean it's it's the name of the last one ascension ascension is the name of the last piece you know and so it takes you through that journey but it leaves you there Mm -hmm. which hopefully leaves you at the end not only feeling all the things that you just felt throughout the piece, but really leaving with a sense of like, I want to do something and I want to be a part of something. And if it not that, then feeling that there are other people that are doing it and you're appreciative of it, but hopefully that you want to be a part of it. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it takes you through the whole journey. And so for me, that's really the most important part. And, and it doesn't necessarily leave me undone every time. It really leaves me like, okay, we were just able to do that message again. And I want to do that. I want to keep doing that. Yeah, I think that's important. I mean, I think for me, what I, what I can say that I do think this album is different from a lot of other artistic projects that deal with these issues is that it's a solution-based project. Um, a lot of things, you know, a lot of artistic projects talk about the problems, mm-hmm. which, are, which are very important. Right. And this talks about right. the problems, too, because you have to and you have to to unravel that in yeah. all the ways. Yeah. Um, but we're at the point but, where solutions are just yeah, and, beyond and needed. <laughs> for like she said, this was this this project is all about activation, you know. And once we get to the middle, the beginning is definitely like like yeah, this is what's going down. But once we gonna get to the middle to the end and you get to the nows part, you know, and it's like it's like no, like this is the urgency. This is like we're we're going we're going in like we are figuring this out we're gonna stand up so for me that that is kind of I think you know people go through the rigmarole of everything of all the emotions for sure but I think the the thing that I've been the most pleased about is it seems like that has come through that people feel very activated by the piece and they're ready to have conversations and action about organizing and about where do we go from here and all that kind of stuff um and then the other part for me is that I mean I definitely I have moments every dip, every time in the piece, and it's always a different spot because I've played it so many times that you know it's never the same thing. I'm I'm pretty used to like different things, so it's always what happens that's unexpected that'll always get me. Mm. You know, like the last show was Vuyo's part that yeah. was just like oh got me. Goodness. You know what I mean? Um, or Jules. Like there's yeah, there's been Jules, two poets, like... and they both they strike me differently. 
on Sunday, yeah. Jules did it, and she just was all the way in there. It was incredible. And Jules, incredible. I mean, she's another actor. You know, she's an actress. She goes to Juilliard for theater, and every time she brings it, you know what I mean, like so hard. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if I was in front of the stage, also, that's the other part. I'm, I'm behind her, so yeah, I can, because I know, I, I see videos and I'm yeah. like, dang, she's You were like Schroeder over there. Yeah, but I mean, it definitely still gets me, you know, at different parts, like, all the time. And I, you know, there is one part in it that I get to be really active. That's the part that's, um, yeah. you know, where you saw me yes. speaking and we repeat yeah. and then we kind of go off. Love that. And that actually starts as a, it's a Tupac quote from okay. an interview. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like super rare interview. Like I don't oh, wow. even remember where I found it to be honest. But um, it's it you know he's saying that about his experience and his mother you know Afeni yeah. who was a, a yeah. Black Panther. Yeah. And um, you know saying like you know basically it was a really deep thing for me to hear him what he said because you know hearing it after he passed away it was you know and what he was saying was I don't know if this is going to get accomplished in my lifetime, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to do the work, yeah. you know? And that was so deep that he actually did end up, unfortunately, passing away. And he kind of predicted that in all types of different ways. But, um, and, you know, MLK and mm-hmm. Malcolm, they all did the same thing, these kind of prophetic mm-hmm. people. Um, but um, for so for me, every time we do that part, that's where I get to improvise, actually, in terms of message. Like, I'll just go off and just say whatever I want to say. So, like... In the live performance, I had just watched, you know, the the 13th documentary, Ava's incredible documentary on Netflix, and which is all about prison. So I that part inevitably became about solitary confinement in that moment. But it'll be about different things every time. Um, but the reason I bring up that part is that the way that I get through it is actually it's very um, cathartic for me because I'm not the, normally the type of person that will like physically be very demonstrative you know i mean i i do i i go to the street i march i do all the things but i'm not you won't see me like usually yelling at people or like yelling about things you know um but i think we all need spaces where like we need to be able to get out that kind of stuff and this type of piece there's some certain parts where it gets really loud and it gets really intense and that's the safe space for me to like kind of express those very deep-seated kind of things that I feel about these traumatizing, like, situations that, you know, our community has been put through, where we all, we need a place to, like, just go ham. So, for me, that's kind of a, it's kind of been a blessing that it's a safe space where I get to do that. So, um, lastly, just, just, this has been incredible. Just thinking about, as we were touching on in the course of the discussion, about the history of of jazz i mean jazz speaks so much to me as everyone knows because it's it's a political voice it's the outlet it's the 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 way that i feel that black people can say this is who i am unapologetically and you know for a while like we were also talking about it just seemed like that side of ourselves was just silenced so to hear 21 24 say no silence is not an option we gotta we gotta speak like is there was there a moment that it just or anything specifically that that sort of said okay we just can't be quiet anymore yeah um i've kind of always been on that too (laughs) (laughs) i mean my you know yeah i'm kind of like i used to go to halloween dresses che Guevara, so i kind of always like was on that vibe i see it a little bit um and elena used to have the little tupac bandana she was trying to rock that for a minute so but um no i mean i think yeah for me i was i've always been um like very you know i've always been thinking about about um those issues and you know being biracial like you know i you know that is also its own kind of complicated thing but yeah i've always been somebody who who it's important for me and it's essential for me to speak out um and then i don't want to speak for elena but i i definitely also think that elena has been um very influential for me in terms of like her insistence in speaking to her her generation like her but you know she's like I want to speak to all people, but the most important audience for me is, you know, my age, you know, and younger, right? Just because those are the people who are influencing the world.
In the final half of our interview, you heard John Coltrane's Alabama, Mirrors by Freddie Hubbard, and Ascension off the Transformation Suite. To learn more about the artist and music you heard on today's show, visit transformationsuite.com. You can also find updates on my Jazz Life page. Many thanks to Samora and Elena for such an incredible show today, and thanks to all of you out there for listening. Tune in to the next Jazz Life, Sundays at 3 p.m., only on Bonfire Radio. I'm your host, Shannon J. Effinger.